Well, welcome everybody. Episode number two of the Christianity 101 podcast, and it's Turner and Rosie. Rosie, how are you, man? Good. How are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, let's just jump into this. Yeah. There's no point in dilly-dallying. That's a dumb phrase, but no point in dilly-dallying. No. Um, if you have your Bibles, people, you're going to need to open up to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to be reading in verse 42. We've titled this episode, and I should probably put this disclaimer in, uh, the disciplines. Um, we And it's going to be broken into two episodes. So we're going to cover half of the four disciplines today and the other half in the next episode. So um, we'll... And this will be self-explanatory as we move through the through the episode. But um, Acts two forty two, if you are if you have not listened to episode one, you need to go push pause, go listen to episode one. Uh, I hate the way that the podcast um, feeders load these things. They load the latest episode first, mm-hmm. so when you do a a series. Um, you know, it doesn't do it backwards. <laughs> yeah, you you can set that on in anyone's podcast. Oh, really? But we can't do that from our end. Oh, we can't do it on yeah. our end. So they could set it up through their pod feeder? Yeah. Okay. So go do that if you want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but they are numbered, so it's easy for everyone. So episode two. and uh, <laughs> I was going to say the good thing is that there's only one other episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at this point, yeah. It's not like, uh, hey, go listen to 49... Well, oh, we're five, on, you right, know, yeah. 112 or something. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and if you, I should probably remind, take a moment to remind people too as well, if you have an Instagram, go follow Christianity Pod, Christianity 101 Podcast on Instagram, and you can follow along with the assigned episode uh, uh, post that we did for on Instagram, and you can just follow along with, with slides as you um, go to episode two. There's a carousel of probably seven or eight slides that will help you um, to have a visual along with the teaching time. Yeah. So you could do that. So in Acts 2.42, um, it's pretty simple. It's This is what it says. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so... Um, this is what we would call the disciplines, and this is in reference to the early church when they were gathering together. This is what they would do: that they would they would practice these four things, and it was apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. And so, obviously, we're going to cover the first two this week, as I said uh, earlier. But let's give a little bit of context for you if you're not familiar with the Book of Acts. Um, Chapter two is pretty early on in the book, (laughs) but in chapter one, um, some important things happen. Um, Jesus resurrects, obviously, um, after three days in the tomb, and he begins to hang out with the disciples. And uh, for about 40 days, he is hanging out with them, and he's doing things like eating with them and having conversations with them and teaching them things. And um, and then he promises them that he's going to give them the Holy Spirit. And then when you get into Acts chapter 2, the very next chapter, in the very first portion of Acts chapter 2, he gives them the whole promised Holy Spirit that he was going to do that. And um, that comes on the day of Pentecost, which is one of the festivals, the feasts that the Jewish people would celebrate. And it's Pentecost because it means the 50th day. 
and it's the 50th day after Passover. <laughs> and remember that Jesus was the Passover lamb. So he became the Passover lamb, fulfilling the the um, what Passover was pointing towards, which was would be the perfect lamb sacrifice from God to be a provision for all sins. And then the, the Pentecost, which would be 50 days later, would be he would give the Holy Spirit to the church. And he does this by... Um, in Acts chapter 2, there's about 120 people in an upper room. They're praying together, and God decides to shake the room, <laughs> literally shake the room, and give them the gift of the Holy Spirit in their salvation. And so they see tongues of fire over each other's heads, and they begin to speak in different languages that they didn't currently know or previously know. And it says that um, these 120 people spill out of this upper room and people think they're drunk mm -hmm. when they're on the street, but they're confessing the praises of God and the goodness of God. And then the apostle Peter, who's among them, um, it says that the people that thought they were drunk, he looks at them and he goes, these people are not drunk as you would suppose. <laughs> right. And then he gives a sermon and out of that sermon, 3,000 people <laughs> turn to the Lord. It says that during the, the speech that Peter gives, the sermon that he gives, um, their hearts are actually torn with conviction, and they realize that they are separated from God. And so they, we, they in Acts chapter 2, you get all these new converts. So you have three, the church goes from 12 or 120 to, from 12 to 120 to now 3,000 mm -hmm. over a period of about 50 days. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't the fact that, you know, the speaking of tongues, so they're speaking in not just languages, how about I'll state back, currently there is a very narrow understanding of, you know, maybe or maybe currently what uh, people typically mean by speaking in tongues is speaking uh, some language that doesn't exist in our realm, um, like it's an angelic language, right? So there's different beliefs on that, and right. I really wish you wouldn't have asked that question. Well, no, well, 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 I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk about that. But yeah, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, that yeah. there's one of those things. Not, we're not talking about the spiritual gifts. But I'm just laying yeah. some groundwork. <laughs> Future but, episodes. Yeah, yeah. But in this instance, it, this actually was, and you'll see where I'm going with this with my further question is that, you know, there's guys in the room that all of a sudden are speaking, uh, I don't know, Chinese or something like that. They're <laughs> speaking languages that exist in the planet Correct. that they didn't previously know. And the reason for that was so that they could go back to those places and actually speak and proselytize to other nations. So my whole question was, is that tied in with this at this point where, because um, I've heard that Pentecost like was a a biblical gathering that was uh, God intended it to. Wasn't there like some deeper meaning to Pentecost to those people being there because they were going to be spread? So there? I, yeah, I, um, so my my take on that whole situation is this: is that it's it was an international city, obviously, and that people were gathered for the feast. So they had there was spillover left over. Remember, um, Passover is one of those required feasts, so they had to go. 
there's five times a year they had to go up to um, to Israel, up to Jerusalem to celebrate. And so I think um, not everybody was speaking Hebrew, obviously. So there would be Greek and you know Aramaic, obviously. But it, when you look in that account in Acts chapter two, it's, it talks uh, clearly that um, it says that there were men speaking in all <laughs> all kinds of languages. It says, uh, let me just find it real quick. Uh, hold on one second. Here it is. It says that there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked himself, are not all these men speaking Galileans? And then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, Elam, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, near Cyrene, <laughs> visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Okay. So it was uh, a witness, evangelistic witness in that moment. Uh, whether or not they took it with them and they still had that, like, um, and so like say someone started speaking Arabian, but they were from, you know, Judea, <laughs> yeah. the countryside of Jerusalem, would then they go down to Arabia and start being a missionary? I don't know. You know, maybe. No, no, no. I, I, the point I, I was getting at was that they could immediately use that gift of speaking other languages to the groups of other people there right. who, if there was some guy from you know, Arabia or something there, they gave the gospel and then he, re that guy would go back oh, right, to his right. country, yes. right? Yes. Okay. Per yes. Okay. I'm following. I, mis I misunderstood you. Yes. No, that's probably what did happen. So you, all of a sudden 3,000 people, you get a bunch of people, 120 people speaking different languages. Those people hear the gospel or hear the goodness of God, the good news, the gospel, mm -hmm. and they uh, take it back with them in their own tongue now understanding it. Whereas if they were trying to speak to them in Hebrew or Greek or, or Aramaic, they wouldn't have been able to, which were the primary languages of the city. Right. So, um, yeah, no, that's cool. That's a good question. That's a great question, actually. So, um, so yeah, the, all these people get saved. So now you have this mega church, right? And, <laughs> yeah. And so Peter, who is the de facto leader, so he's he's there, and then it says that immediately after that event that happens in Acts, the beginning of Acts chapter two, you get into forty two Acts two forty two, and it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrines, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so, a lot of people like to take that verse and use that as a glimpse into the lives of the new believers in the, the early chapters of Acts in the early church. And so if it worked for them, why wouldn't we want to have it applied to our lives today? And I think that's actually a very wise, you know, way to look at it personally. So let's look at those, you know, as we go through. The first one was the apostles' teachings. And so the apostles' teachings are the apostles' doctrines. Some of your Bibles might say that. Um, there's a verse that the apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, chapter three, verse sixteen, and it and this is a great verse. You should remember this if you can if you can memorize it. All Scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, 
and training in righteousness. So Paul makes a declaration in the book of Second Timothy, which is the last book he wrote, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's written two-thirds of the New Testament when he gets to this part of where he writes this, which is pretty important stuff in the New Testament. Um, two-thirds of the whole New Testament was written by Paul. And he says that all Scripture is God-breathed and that it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So there's this emphasis that God's Word is vital for a new believer, and it's super important for them to understand that it literally is the breath of God, mm-hmm. <laughs> God breathed, and that it will correct and teach them and and do all these things, train them and rebuke them. And so if anyone who's ever as an, and I, I can just share with you, like when I was a baby Christian, I, I can remember reading my Bible before I'd go to work and, um, and I didn't, you know, I was so new at it. I didn't know what I was reading, but I was just reading. And so, um, and I was reading through the gospels and I remember Jesus would say something. And then during the day at work, like something would happen and it would literally like be a fulfillment of what I had read earlier Mm -hmm. in the day in my Bible. And so by the, God was just showing me how true his word was just by the people around me that were fulfilling the scripture. <laughs> right. And sometimes it was like not good stuff. <laughs> right. Sometimes it was great stuff. Yeah. But, um, and so we have this idea that God's word is important for a new believer. Yeah. And um, maybe this is, uh, so this is, this podcast is geared towards new Christians or people wanting to, uh, work through some stuff the uh that phrase god breathed i have a couple questions but where i'm going with it sure now uh when i think when you when when we read god breathe that's the same is it first question is it the same word that is used in genesis and you may not know this and that's okay (laughs) when he breathes into adam and gives him new life so the the Septuagint would use that Greek word pneuma, right? Which I'm I would have to look um, up real quick and find out if it's the Greek word for pneuma, but it's I think it's very similar. It's the same same concept, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And so the point that I was going with that is when we see that phrase in English, "God breathed," there's this idea of uh, new life of living, like from God into something else. Yeah. And so the point that I'm going with this is uh, much in the the way, like a very practical way of what you just explained about how you'll read something and then you know, it, it immediately applies to something in your daily, very practically speaking. The other kind of thing, uh, I think of it as uh, the fact that use this term God breathe into the word, into the gospels, into the letters, into the Bible, into the pages, into the book, into the writing yeah. that we think of when we have the Bible is that th- this is a very unique document, right? Because it's like, I love hearing from uh, people, I won't get political, but there's a term that they use. It's usually get thrown, gets thrown around uh, with the constitution as they say, the constitution's a living document, which okay. means it, uh, it has a mind of its own, basically, and we can update it. And what the words actually say in the paper, though we can interpret those differently, which is not the case with the Constitution. Right. It's a written document. It means what it means, and that's what it means. Right. 
That's totally different. Like the Bible is unique in this way that there is so much life into the pages of itself, the the words, all that stuff. Yeah. And I, I just didn't want to move over this other point is that that's what makes reading the Bible, like literally li- reading the Bible so much different than reading any other book. You know, you could read, uh, I don't know, uh, some great book of poetry and it can make you, you know, feel happy or sad or, you know, have, have some emotion or you can read some book that challenges you intellectually and you're like, Oh, that's a good way. I never thought about that before. And maybe Mm -hmm. it'll change your outlook or something like that. But they're not living in the same way that there's like life that can come from it. And in the same way of that's why it's so important. And, to read your Bible every day. Yeah. That's, this is ultimately what I'm leading up to the point is <laughs> the book is unique. There's something super special about it. And there's power in literally just opening the Bible and reading it. And um, I'm going to kind of tee this up in, in a question to you is a lot of people may not know how to read the Bible or yeah. the importance of just reading it just to read it rather than reading it through the lens of like a commentary because like I'm speaking for myself. I don't know. (laughs) I'm not a biblical scholar. There's a lot of stuff that I don't understand context to or historical context or more nuance, but I really don't need that. Right? Like when I read the Bible, I can get something out of it without having to 100%. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Actually, Hebrews says that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, separating even bone from marrow. Hmm. So that's a pretty sharp sword, yeah. separate bone and marrow. And basically what it is, it, it, and we're also told to, to rightly divide the word of truth, right? The word of God. So when you, you take in the full counsel of God's word, you're reading it, you may not understand the history of that moment that was going on. You may not understand, because in... In, in the fullness of the 66 books of the Bible, there's poetry, there's prophecy, there's instruction, there's law, <laughs> there's, there's going to be um, testimony, you know, so there's a lot of, <clears throat> lot of things happening, but all 66 of those books work in conjunction, and this is what I love, and this is why you can, you can start by reading anywhere, but I'll give you my, <clears throat> my, you know what I think you should do, but all sixty-six books, everything in the in the um, Old Testament is predicting Jesus is coming and and telling us that the Messiah is coming, and that starts as early as Genesis chapter three verse fifteen, <laughs> which we've talked about. The Proto Evangelium is what they call it. It's the the first evangelistic message that God's going to redeem mankind, and we talked about that last week or on the last episode, and. And so everything in the Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus. The Gospels reveal Jesus. So he's revealed and he's walking amongst us as a God-man. And then everything after the Gospels is how to live for Jesus. And so it's it's literally teaching us how to practice the teachings that Jesus left us with <laughs> and the new teachings that he was going to give through the epistles which is the books that are following the book of Acts. So you have the four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
Then you have the book of Acts, which is the fifth book. And then after the book of Acts, you have what they call the epistles. And then at the end of the epistles, you get the book of Revelation, which is prophetic. So you have a little bit of prophecy, a little bit of instruction, a little bit of testimony uh, just in the New Testament. And everything is connected to Jesus. Even the book Revelation, which is prophecy, the last book of the Bible, it it's often called it's often called the apocalypse or the apocalypse of Jesus, and it, it simply means the revealing, and it's the revealing of what it's the revealing of Jesus in the last. It's his second coming. It's his it's his triumphant you know end of the world that's going to happen, and that's why it's so kind of freaky. The book is freaky, right. but it's literally it just means the revealing of Jesus. And so a lot of people get apocalypse and apocalypto and that whole, Mm -hmm. that word's kind of scary. It's really not that scary when you know what it means. It just means the revealing. That's why they call it revelation, right? So, and it's not, it's, I have a, I have a pet peeve. It's revelation. Yeah. Not revelations. (laughs) Right. People say, when I read a book in revelations, it's not revelations, it's revelation. And please don't do that. It bugs me so much. (laughs) It does. Me too. (laughs) So... When we talk about where should we read the Bible, like I think if you're a new believer, or you're a curious. If you're curious about about Christianity in general, maybe you haven't committed yourself to it. You're just trying to explore it. I would start with the Gospels, and I would in particular start with the Gospel of John. It's the fourth Gospel, so the fourth book of the New Testament. I would read that book first. Read through that book. It's and it, that the way that God um, blessed us with that book is that it's written in such an easy to understand manner, and uh, it gives you a kind of a full spectrum of both Jesus' humanity, his divinity, his the things that he did that were miraculous, the, the sacrifice on the cross, and the impact of all of those things. So it gives us a nice, well-rounded image of who Jesus is, and uh, and it can get you kickstarted into understanding. Then moving on forward from that, how the church is born and then how the church grows and then how God sends us beautiful teachers to give us how to live for it, like Peter, Jude, James, John, Paul, Ringo. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it always sounds like the Beatles. When yeah, I yeah. So let me give you just a couple examples of how um, the apostles' doctrines were important and how the teachings of the Old Testament actually impact us in the New Testament because a lot of people like to make a separation. There was even a pastor, a very well-known pastor, who said we need to unhook from the Old Testament and um, basically saying that if we're going to be a Christian, then we need to live in a New Testament life. And that means the Old Testament is irrelevant to us. And I have to say that that is completely wrong. And here's why. In the Gospel of Luke, after the resurrection, Jesus raises from the dead and he begins to, he meets these two people on the road to Emmaus. And on that road to Emmaus, it says in in Luke chapter 24, and you can look this up, it says, he said to them, how, so let me give you a little bit more. He began, he meets them and they think that he's the gardener right. of the of where of where Joseph's tomb was. It's really beautiful over there by the way. I've seen it. It's really beautiful now because it's a tour it's sort of a Christian tourist right. <laughs> attraction if you will. But um it was beautiful then too because Joseph was very wealthy. And <clears throat> he speaks to them and it says that Jesus said to them, "How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe 
all that the prophets have spoken, did not Christ have to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with the Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And so Jesus is walking with these two people. It's on the road to Emmaus is what they call it. That's where they were heading. And um, he goes into the Old Testament, and he uses the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. He uses the prophets, which would be everything from Ezekiel, Isaiah, Zechariah, Jeremiah, Jonah, right. Joel, all of the prophets. He uses the prophets, and then he, exp- and he also used some of the Psalms. And it says that he explained to them what was said about him concerning the scriptures. And, um, and then it says that uh, they keep walking. And he, they say, hey, why don't you come in and eat with us? And he's like, I'll come in. And he comes in and he give, they give him bread and he breaks the bread and gives thanks to God. And then he disappears. And <laughs> they take the bread with him? I don't know. <laughs> I would have been hanging on to that bread. It would have been, been in a Ziploc bag. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. I just met God and he touched that bread. <laughs> I'd be like nibbling little bits of it for the rest of my life. Yeah. But uh, it, says that, it says that their testimony was, it says that, they asked each other, didn't our hearts burn within us when he talked with us on the road and opened up the scriptures to us? So Jesus used the scriptures of the Old Testament to show who he was and that he was he was essentially telling these two people on the road to Emmaus who didn't recognize him that he was the Messiah, that he was the promised one that they were looking for, that they were hoping in, and that he had fulfilled all the requirements. That's probably why he started with the Torah, by the way, with Moses, because he fulfilled the law. So he had to show them that, hey, I fulfilled the requirements of the old covenant. And so now it's fulfilled and on your behalf. And then check this out, I'm alive. So now there's a new covenant that's going to be happening. And it's already it's already at work. You know. Quick question for you. These two people, they were not just random people. Like they knew of uh that he that there was someone who was just crucified three days ago right well yeah the whole city was astir about that yeah if you remember uh, well i'm assuming the listener that the listener has read it but and thanks for setting this up you set it up perfectly um when jesus was crucified he was literally he was paraded through the city they made him carry his cross and um he had to go through it's called the Via Della Rosa is what they call it. And, and that's the nice Latin word for it's uh, the road of of his death, I think, or the bloody road. I forget what it means. I don't know the translation in Latin, but uh, but it sounds really good coming off your tongue. The yeah. Via Della Rosa. You know? <laughs> uh, so he, he actually was forced to carry his cross after he had been tortured. So they had whipped him and mocked him and beat him and they put the crown of thorns on him and they put the fake robe on him and and uh, mocked him and played a game and divided up his garments. Even that stuff right there was prophesied in the Old Testament that for 30 pieces of, he'd be sold for 30 pieces of silver and that they would divide his garments, you know, amongst them by lot. They played a game. They literally played a game for his clothing. Yeah. That was shredded to pieces anyways. And they forced him to walk through the city to get to um to get to Golgotha, which was the place, the hillside where he would be crucified. And so he, 
and he actually couldn't even he was so weakened by the beating over you know just they tortured him that uh, a man named Simon had to help him uh, carry his cross up to the hill and so uh, so he was uh, it was pretty and it's the same guy that had fed 3,000 people that had walked on water that had done all of these miraculous things who had like turned over the the money changers tables in the Right. temple courts who had taught in the temple courts with authority who had taught in synagogues with authority who had prophesied who had just done raised the dead i mean literally for three years really for about a year and a half of his three-year ministry he was just lit- like the whole city knew him everyone knew him yeah yeah it was hard not to be like jesus was like the dude he was yeah. on display by god you know on purpose mm-hmm. So when he died, everyone knew. So I think that those two people on the road to Emmaus, they probably would have known uh, about the crucifixion, but they didn't recognize him as Jesus. They thought he was the gardener. And, you know, that was actually very common, um, too, because we find that when Mary, uh, I think it's Mary, Martha, it's the sister of Martha, Mary, she sees him uh, when she runs to the tomb in the next morning, and she doesn't recognize him either. Right. You know, and uh, so there's there's something about his resurrected condition that was different than, and you know, when they saw him, he was looked. I mean, his, he looked terrible. I mean, he mm-hmm. was been beaten and unrecognizable. So, yeah, so they didn't recognize him, but he was. And and when he gave them those beautiful verses of just proving that he was Messiah, that he was the one who was predicted to come, that he fulfilled all these verses. Of course, their hearts are going to burn because they're literally hearing God tell them what they would been had been hoping in. Um, we also see in Acts chapter two, before you get to the to the our verse for this episode two forty two, when Peter gives his sermon to the, and the three thousand people get saved. We were just talking about. Um, he uses a lot. He uses Old Testament verses, um, and some of them that he uses are Joel two twenty eight which is that God's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Um, Psalm 16, Psalm 110. And those are both, those, both of those Psalms are prophetic in their, in for messianic, you know, in their, in their nature. Mm-hmm. Um, later on in Acts chapter seven, when you get the first martyr, the first person to die for Jesus, his name is Stephen. Great name, by the way. And uh, he <laughs> if you read Acts chapter seven, the stoning of Stephen, it it is beast, man. Uh, <laughs> I love that story because Stephen is being persecuted by the Jews and the Pharisees, and he um, he begins to tell them their own history. Right. <laughs> and so he starts with Abraham, and he's talking about how Abraham was called by God, and he did this. And it's really interesting. If you read Stephen's account, and then you read the Genesis account of those, he actually gives us even more information than we knew before. Mm-hmm. And it's not that he's wrong. It's just that he knew things that we don't necessarily know, right? We didn't know at the time. Yeah. And so um, he tells them all of this stuff, and then he gets to the end of basically of the life of Christ, and you know he brings them historically through to, to Messiah to Jesus, and and he basically said, "You're the one who killed him. You're the you're responsible for killing him," and they get so angry, 
And um, he quotes, he ends by quoting Isaiah 66, verse 1, which I'll, I'll say it for it because it's an epic verse to use in this situation. He said, this is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? And they get so angry and they just, they just throw rocks at him. And it <laughs> says that he looks up and he sees heaven open and he sees Jesus standing, waiting to receive him. Like literally, he's like, you're the first, I'm going to get you. I got you, <laughs> you know. And so I wonder how that all played out in Stephen personally, like if he just got hit by the first rock, got knocked out, and then that was it, <laughs> and he was with Jesus, or how that worked. But um, I'm sure there was some pain involved a little bit there. Um, he had already been pretty much beat up and treated really poorly. <laughs> Before he got stunned, what? No, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just so funny where it's like, yeah, he wasn't. He was treated poorly. Like, <laughs> I think that's an, a very understatement. But <laughs> sorry, no, no, it's funny. So, uh, yeah. So, anyways, so those are some uses of scripture that would point towards Jesus, even in the Old Testament that we were talking about. And that was really important for the early church because you got to understand that those verses in the Old Testament are written to the Jews as the prophets. So they were the, the, you know, you had your kings that were ruling over Israel and you had your prophets. And the prophets always represented God and, uh, you know, for the people. It would be God's voice for the people. And that when the God's voice for the people would say, hey, I'm going to send my son, my Messiah is going to come, um, those are important verses mm -hmm. that they would that would really speak to them and cause them to want to, you know, trust Messiah. And just kind of uh, before we get going uh, to move on from that, yeah. kind of as an aside, some history tying into, I'm going to pose this as a question, the... We talked about Paul a lot mm -hmm. already, who wrote two-thirds in the New Testament, who uh, is not in this part of Acts yet because Correct. of something else that had will come later. Yeah. Um, but the stoning of Stephen, uh, you know, the, the, there's a tie-in with the first example that you said of the two witnesses, uh, the two witnesses walking. And Jesus reveals himself to them. And then also Stephen, stoning a Stephen. Um, you know, how would uh, this Paul guy that you talked about, you know, <laughs> yeah. how, is there anything with him as well that might be kind of interesting to tie these oh, things Oh, yeah, in? dude. Paul, so Paul, who ends up writing, like I said, two-thirds, I think he writes a total of 13. No, I take I take that back. There's 13 epistle letters. He wrote two thirds of those letters, so whatever that number ends up nine, ten, something. Yeah, a lot of letters um, that were and included. Just sorry, didn't mean to cut you off, but at the same time, uh, he probably wrote a bunch of other letters to other churches all throughout the time. Yeah. That when the Bible was being uh, put together, mm -hmm. it's not that. Uh, so, how about I'll say this as a statement. Correct me if I'm wrong. If not. If not, just keep going on to what I yeah. originally asked you before you cut off. Is that why sometimes there may not be there? Obviously, Paul wrote more letters than what we have in the New Testament, and a lot of those, the way I understand it, is you know that maybe people who may not know this, when 
there's first and second Corinthians. Mm -hmm. Those are letters from Paul to a specific group of people, the Corinthian church. Mm -hmm. Romans was to the church in Rome. Mm -hmm. Galatians was to a specific church. And be just because he wrote specific letters, he probably wrote a lot of other ones to other churches kind of saying the same things that he was, uh, you know, if he's saying one thing to the Romans, he's not saying something completely different to a different church. And so the the number of letters that we have, you know, when, when the Bible was being put together, those ones were chosen because, you know, it's kind of like, a, I think of like a, you know, a lattice, right? Mm -hmm. You're putting over the important information you can get all of the important doctrine through, you know, nine, 10 letters or so without repeating itself. So that's, he, yeah. he was a prolific, he wrote way more than just those, but yeah. And we're finding letters, like right. they found third Corinthians. The, apparently there was a third one in with the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1940s, which were actually, they were, you know, Corinthians were one of the first letters that Paul wrote, but this guy, Paul, and we'll get into some of that stuff too in a later podcast episode, like kind of like how the Bible was put together. Oh, sure, sure, sorry. So, but um, the Apostle Paul, he wasn't always Apostle Paul. He was a guy named Saul, and um, he actually was an eyewitness to the death of, sto of the stoning of Stephen. It says that the Pharisees laid their cloaks at the feet of Saul, the Pharisee, and he was a chief Pharisee, so he was like a bigwig Pharisee. In fact, he calls himself a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Jew of Jews. He, in other words, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, and um, he was both a he, a Roman citizen and a Jew, which he had dual this dual citizenship status, um, which will play into his future um, in a very prominent way um, later on. But he was there. Not only was he approving the death of Stu of Stephen, but he had letters in his hands at that time to arrest. Christians, people that were, they, they didn't call them Christians at that point, but they were called followers of the way is what they called themselves. And <laughs> the way would be the way to heaven, you yeah. know, and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, no man can come to the Father except through me. So that's why they would adopt that phrase, the way, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, so he would, he had papers to arrest other believers and he was approving of the death of Stephen. Um, and that's in Acts chapter 7. It only takes to Acts chapter 9, so it's probably about a year later. Um, the apostle Paul is actually on the way, on the road to Damascus with more arrest records in hand and trying to do really the work of Satan. And he is blinded by God, and he's knocked off of his horse, and he's literally blinded for three days. And God says to him, you know, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he goes, is is that you, Lord? So like he knew it was the Lord. And, and God equated the persecuting of his saints, the murder of his saints, as he took it personally. Because he said to Paul, why are you persecuting me? Okay. And that should be a big clue to us for those of us that do believe in Jesus that that's a comfort for us because our persecutions, our hardships, the things that we go through in our life that are difficult or challenging, um, they are touching God. And in other words, he's aware of them. He's 
in tune with them. And that's something that should be really comforting to us because that means that we're not alone in our pain, in our suffering, our sorrow, in our persecutions if we should face them. Um, we are not alone. God is literally, <laughs> he feels it in, as much as we feel it. And we know that because of what he said to Paul. He's like, why are you persecuting me? You know, and so uh, we he looks at us as being one with him. Mm-hmm. And that's in fact, that's when Jesus said to, that's what Jesus's prayer was when he prayed in the garden um, the night that he was arrested. He said, Father, let them be one with with me as you are one with me. And uh, and so that was kind of what he was. So that was this guy Paul. He was searching out and abusing and harming and you know Christians. Yeah, but then uh, after he had that experience, he didn't become a Christian right away, right? It took him three days. Um, I think he was. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, uh, what I'm getting at is he didn't. Uh, like, what did he do? Oh. Right? Oh, okay. You know exactly what I'm trying to tee up. Yeah, so so Paul, he becomes a believer, and then he goes off, and he he's for like three or four years, he's gone. And he's basically studying the scriptures to be able to defend the Christian faith by the use of the Old Testament scrolls. And I, I tell you, that's incredible. So this guy who had been trained by Gamaliel, and you know one of the greatest Pharisees of all time at that point, and he was well respected. He comes back a few years later, and even then he tries to connect with the Christian Church, and they're like afraid of him right. <laughs> because his reputation was so big, you know, it was so well known, um, and so he had a hard time actually connecting with the believers in in Jerusalem when he came back from being away. Um, but yeah, the, the whole point uh, that I was just getting at that was. He also went and spent years studying the Old Testament to find out that yeah it was true. So yeah, to I prove mean, to prove. So the guy that uh, is writing letters, you know, saying uh, you know, study the scriptures. It's good for teaching, for rebuking all these things. Yeah. Um, I just want to point out kind of a difference of religions that makes Christianity stand apart. From all, every other religion, sure, is that Jesus obviously he, he was God, he was perfect, so we can't do everything in perfection the way he did, right? But he still he he did the same things, like he suffered as we did. He was tempted in every way that it says that humans were. You know, yep. he was hungry. He he went through everything. He wept he was sad that he lost his friend you know lazarus you know like he went through emotions he was a fully man yeah and he never calls us to do anything that he didn't do that he didn't go through Mm -hmm. way worse you know like obviously he says to die to ourselves to follow him Mm -hmm. he died in the most horrific way you know imaginable like and so I just kind of want to reiterate, you know, so Jesus is telling, follow my example. This is how you should follow people. And he actually did the things that he said. Yeah. He had, he was the perfect example of the things that he said and that he calls us to do. So he didn't, there's not this disconnect. Right. He was down in the slums with us humans, you know, in yeah. more ways than one. And the same thing that goes with Paul when he's writing these things in these epistles saying, you know, do this, do that. This is how you should do it. He's rebuking people, telling them, 
you know, laying down doctrine, you're wrong. It's not just like some superiority complex. Like he actually did all these things. Yeah. And that's the difference. It's unique. No other religion, no other, I was going to say cult, you know, there's, there's <laughs> no kind of religious uh, group or anything that says that, that actually has, uh, I don't want to say our leader, but, you know, Buddhism doesn't tell you to do the same things the Buddha did. The Buddha did things and didn't do things right. that Buddhists are called to do. Right. Hindus, right. they got thousands. Who, who knows? Like, right. They got, they're, they're a mess. Millions, right? Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, all the gods. Pantheon. Of, yeah. yeah. Muslims, there's a lot of stuff that Muhammad did that he said, only I can do this because, right. you know. Because I'm the boss. Because I'm the boss and right. you should do this, but I'm not going to do it. And I'm going to do things and you can't do it. Right. So that's what. Just Mormonism too. Mormonism as well. Yeah. yeah there's thing. all kinds of things. So yeah. um, I just kind of want to, it just felt like a good place to say that like at the same time, like, you know, Paul, the guy who's writing these things to do it, he's saying it because it works. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. power in it. Like yeah. to convert someone like that, you know. I mean, God really invaded his life. It was, yeah. you know, very, it was an incredible moment, I'm sure. Yeah, but it forever changed Paul's life, and he never he never wavered. I mean, he ended up dying for his faith in in Christ, and God, you know, was with him throughout his whole ministry. So let me read some other verses yeah, for please. you. Um, Paul actually wrote two of two of these verses, <laughs> possibly three of them. Second um, Timothy one thirteen. It says, "What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching." with faith and love in Christ Jesus. So Paul was writing to Timothy, who was one of his, you know, understudies. He was a disciple of Paul. And Timothy ends up becoming the pastor of the, of the largest church in Asia, which would be the church in Ephesus that Paul planted. Um, in Psalm 119, verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, that's important. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus answered, It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Um, Colossians 3.16. I'm just giving you some verses that reinforce that we should really have an emphasis in our life on God's word. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. That's really cool. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Mm. Not just thinly, not just, you know, weakly, but richly. Like, go deep into God's word. Pray through as you're reading. Uh, make it count. Um, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, one of my favorite verses. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. That's really, really important. Um, I think that, you know, the emphasis in a new believer to um, develop a discipline of reading God's word is only going to bring life to them. And I'll, I'll just finish with this point. The, Jesus did say that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And there's a really strong connection that your spirit man, the person, your spirit that's made alive when you're born again, because you're born of water and spirit, right, as you learned on episode one, 
that spirit man is fed by the word of God, the bread of life, the bread of the word of God. So when you read God's word, you are feeding your spirit. And that may sound very simple, but a lot of mature Christians, people that have been Christians for a long time, most of their life, they, if you were to look at their spirit man, it would probably be emaciated weak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just makes me think of like someone that's been in a famine, you know, and um, they wonder why in their life they can't succeed in victory over sin or temptation. And they wonder why they are easily deceived by, um, you know, um, off <laughs> cultic or cult or even just heresies that would come along their way, even simple things like a Gnostic belief system or or even something worse, you know. Um, they wonder why um, they can't have encouragement um, for their brother or sister in the Lord when when they want when they're having a hard time. Um, they can't they can't remember certain things that they might need to encourage them with um, because when you fill your heart and your mind and your spirit man with the word of God, uh, it fills it and it's used by God in your life and another's. So um, it's really just a safeguard for you. And it's a wonderful thing. And the, just like anything else, when when I start to go to the gym, and like I haven't been in a long time, I'm actually injured right now, so I have an excuse. <laughs> but when I start to go to the gym, I start to crave that, you know, after you go a little while. And, you know, you get you break through the sore cycle and all that mm-hmm. stuff, but then you start to be like, man, I, I need to go to the gym. I want to go to the gym. And you start to kind of look forward to it. Uh, in the same way, when I put myself on a steady diet of God's word, um, I start to crave it more. And um, it's it's a weird thing. I can't explain it, but it, it, it does happen. I believe it's a spiritual hunger, and it knows where the good food's coming from. So <laughs> I can... I think that would be important. Yeah. yeah. So so that would bring us the first discipline is <clears throat> teaching apostles' doctrines. Yeah. And um, and they never stopped by the way. In fact, that's how we get our um that's how we get our version of church today. Is why why is there a sermon? Well, the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrines. So if you're in a good church, they're teaching you the Bible. <laughs> right. They're not giving you self help or, you know, pump you up. Uh, type of sermons, but they're giving you actually breaking down God, reading you God's word from the pulpit and sharing with you what it means and how it applies to your life. And that's a good church. That's a good church. It may sound boring, right. but man, your spirit will be so built up. So the second doc, the second discipline that the church was about was, uh, was fellowship. And so they first, you know, the, they would devote themselves to the, the apostles' doctrines and fellowship. And that word fellowship, it comes from a Greek word called koinonia. It's a really fancy word. And it has this association or this idea that of communion, which is a, a unified community, um, fellowship, and participation. It literally means to share in something. So when I have koinonia with, with you, Rosie, uh, which we have often, and one of the things that you and I like to do is we like to go for wings yeah. almost once a week. We go for wings. And some of you listening know exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> but we go to wings, and that is koinonia. We get wings at half price <laughs> and our Coke Zeros, <laughs> and we talk about what's going on in our lives. 
and we share with each other our frustrations, our our excitements, mm-hmm. our joys, our sorrows, and we listen to each other and we encourage one another and we tell each other you're idiots and we make fun of each other too, which is important. Yeah, you know? yeah. And we laugh a lot, which yeah. is really, really important. I think laughing is the greatest gift that God has given to mankind. I really do. Yeah. I always uh, just, this has nothing to do with a biblical thing, but I, I just want to say it along with that is there's always this saying that I've always heard where it's like, if you're the smartest person in the room, find a different room so that you'll, <laughs> right. if you're the smartest person, <laughs> yeah. you're not challenged at all. Yeah. I've always said this, or I, I, I like this saying is that never, like, if you're always the funniest guy in a room or in your friend group, you should find funnier friends as well. <laughs> like I totally agree in the same way of like, you know, joyful laughing and, you know, that kind of stuff is, I think, very, very important. So, yeah, um, yeah we're, we're not called to be like sorrowful people, like with our heads down, you know, the whole <laughs> yeah. time and saying how everything's terrible and yeah, our lives are crappy. You know, like we're called to have joy and, uh, you know, even through the hardships, like there's yeah. stuff to find. And that's why it's so important. Kind of like what you had said about uh, – you had said earlier that um, uh, that God went through. He's with you know. You persecuted me, so God's along with us when we're through through everything. Yeah, the goods and the bads and everything. God doesn't leave us, but at the same time, you know that's what we're called to have with other Christians to be there, like to also because sometimes I get. I'll speak for myself. Why it's so important to have fellowship, and I'm not even going into this right now, I'm just right, riffing, yeah. is that, yeah, the wing nights that we have or the hours <laughs> before, after we record a podcast, we're just sitting yeah. around, um, are important to, um, you know, because sometimes we're, we're, not, we're spiritually hungry, you know, we're not being fed and uh, may not, it's easy to lose that kind of connection or th- remember that God is with us in such a practical way at least i can sometimes yeah yeah where i look around and i'm like man i feel literally all alone because i'm sitting all alone by myself you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. and uh yeah um it doesn't uh work the same way like it's nice to have internet friends and friends i can talk to i'm in group chats you know stuff like that yeah and, um but there's something really to be said about you know like you said even just sitting across from somebody that you're going through life with um, on a friendship level. And that's what we're called to do. Yeah. That's what the early church did was help each other in that very practical way and be reflections of like God to one another and to remind each other, even at the bare minimum, like there's been times where um, I'll just say for me, like there's, I've been going, I've gone through something hard and like, there's literally nothing I can do mm-hmm. and there's nothing anyone else can do. And the only time that, like, I just need someone is just to say, hey, man, like, this sucks, but I'm here. Like, there's nothing. Yeah. I can't do anything. I'm sorry. I wish I could help you. (laughs) But I'll be (laughs) here. You know, you can vent to me and cry with me and laugh with me, and we can do that. And Yeah. um, Yeah, it's it's very important. The best thing I ever heard was I went through a really, really dark, deep valley one time many years ago and um, a really great 
brother in the Lord, mentor, pastor friend, he looked looked at me and he just said, I wish I could change your situation. I can't change it, but man, I'm here. Yeah. And that's all I needed was, man, I'm here, you know? And, uh, And so fellowship is the avenue that God's created for the church. Now, you mentioned something like the early church did this, and one of the things that was um, that they, it, they were kind of forced into this mm-hmm. because the early church very quickly on began to experience persecution. Um, you know, we saw Acts chapter seven; Stephen was the first <laughs> martyr. I was going to say, literally, while they're still writing, <laughs> writing the New Testament, <laughs> right? Uh, Paul hadn't even written any of his letters yet. He, he, he hadn't he got saved. saved. Yeah, he was there. They're like already that. trying to knock him off, you yeah. know. And and you also see like Peter gets arrested and he's in jail with James and or John. And so I think that um, they were forced into this community because, and a lot of people don't realize this, but when a when a Jew becomes a Christian, they are rejected by their family. Mm-hmm. The, the Jews rejected Jesus, like outright. And to this day, they largely still reject Jesus as the Messiah, but it's even more than that. If, if you've listened to or what we've we did the warcast which is another podcast which was we went through the talmud and what the talmud teaches about christians and about jesus it's very vile mm-hmm. and so the whole idea that um you would become a christian and your family would just reject you your job would fire you um you know this is the early church you know and so they would have really nothing they would be left with no family with no job no you know, and so they would only be left with the believers that were around them. And so because of persecution, it really facilitated this tight knit. You go through that together, you're going to be pretty tight. You know, um, if you, (laughs) this is going to sound lame, but it's true. Um, Any, these special ops guys that go into war and they go on these missions, um, they do these missions. They they literally have to depend on the guy next to them. Um, they have to trust him with their life many times in different for different reasons, different parts of the operation or whatever. That creates a real closeness, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. That creates a real closeness, and um, it's war. And the early church was facing war uh, very quickly um, against them, and so that was one of the necessities that God provided, you know, was fellowship. Yeah. And uh, just to, I don't want to belabor the point too much, but this just popped up in my head is that's what the true definition of the word intimacy is. Intimacy can get, uh, I mean, I think the whole, reading the, the all of the Bible, this is what you're talking about, this true intimacy. Usually, especially nowadays in Western culture and the, the word intimate, you know, is synonymous with sexual relations. Hey, we got intimate last, you know, that kind of right, thing. Right, right. Or, um, or if you're a good King James person, he, I knew her. Knew her, yeah, She yeah. knew him. Biblically, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I love saying that. <laughs> knew them, biblically. Um, but I think that that's also uh, what intimacy is, uh, and this is going to maybe sound weird going back to the point I just made, is that there's this... Uh, nakedness it means in the sense of there's nothing there's no boundaries mm-hmm. in the sense that that's what vulnerable in, vulnerable yeah you have you're vulnerable with someone down to your core that's what true intimacy that's what these people had to do because they were relying upon each other so much and you 
you learn who they truly are, who someone truly is. Mm-hmm. And that real, you know, anyone that's listening, you know, I, I think most people have had one or two people that they've had true intimacy with that will probably know. I don't want to belabor the point too much. But that's also a very unique thing about Christianity that ties into the earlier points that we were talking about, about God being with us truly throughout all the things with Jesus being here on earth, walking around, doing the same things that we had to do, that we do now. Yeah. Experiencing the same things is they have that God has that knowledge and he came down and he is with us. He's within us. Yeah. He knows us intimate, the most intimate <laughs> that he knows us better than we know ourselves. And he's, yeah. you know, truly with us. Your thoughts. He yeah. knows your thoughts. He knows our thoughts. They're <laughs> transparent. Yeah. Him. And again, that's just another thing that no other religion offers. No other religion claims. Right. There's, you know, I'm going to pick on, uh, you know, the Buddhists and the, the Hindus, they have some weird karmic thing where it's. Yeah, the Hindus have tons of ton thousands of gods, and some of them may care about you for some points of time or right, yeah. for a certain instance. But there's this uh, uncaring, very legalistic uh, karma balance mm-hmm. where if you do more good deeds than bad, then you get to move on and progress or whatever. And then Judaism is just there's no intimacy with it in the sense of it's just the law. You just had to follow this. I mean, that's what it is nowadays. There's You're trusting in your your good works. Your faithfulness to it, right. to the system. Right. Yeah, that but, God uh, would recognize it, you know. Yeah. And uh, so th- the whole point that I'm getting at is just yet again, Christianity has the true fellowship and that it's innate. You can't separate the two. Right. So it's innate in Christianity that is unlike, again, any religion and stands separate. And that's the most important thing. That's right. what people want. So Me. this is, and this is and not only that, but it, can if I can build yeah. on what you, because you set up something really good for, that I wanted to bring up earlier. And everything about man and God in relationship was severed at, because of sin, right? It was broken because of sin. And I have a phrase. I came up with this phrase. If you ever hear this phrase, God gave me this phrase. So if you ever hear it, just say, praise God, Turner said that. And the phrase that I that God showed me one time was that everything that God does, he does for the sake of relationship. And if you look at the cross, it's a vertical line going up and down, which would represent God at the top and man at the bottom. So he's connecting man and God, but it's also a horizontal cross that goes across ways, which would be man to man. And so God, everything, the cross is the crux of everything about relationships, that it restores man and God into relationship, and it, it can bring health and, and truth and beauty to man to man relationships. I mean, God, <laughs> Jesus told us, he said, um, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, but I tell you, Pray for your enemies, right? <laughs> right? He yeah. says, 
I see you and I raise you. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I see you, your vengeance, and I raise you forgiveness. Yeah. And so he he literally raised the bar on everything. But he, if you do it God's way, it's an, a beautiful thing. It and it and God gave the church the body of believers that which is what they're known of, known as as to be the effective witness on the earth of both being ruled by God, so that. That up that vertical line of the cross, and also how we serve one another and treat one another, which is the horizontal line of the cross. There's a great verse in Hebrews 10, and it says, Let us not give up meeting together, as some of you are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So you and I have a wonderful friendship, and we have a handful of other people in our lives, and I would say that those people are my church. Mm. <laughs> They're my koinonia. Yeah. I, you go to a church, I go to a church. We go, actually, you and I go to different churches, which yeah. is kind of cool. <laughs> um, not, not by choice necessarily, yeah, but yeah. it just is what it is. And we, you, you have connections in that church and I have connections in my church. And, and we haven't, you know, we still have this kind of connection to the greater, the larger body of Christ. But when we talk about the fellowship that these people were in the habit of doing, they're getting together regularly, praying for one another, talking about the scriptures together. They were eating together. They were sharing meals together. They were doing life together. And the Apostle Paul tells us there's a large – I'm going to read a big section of scripture, for, and I'm just going to read it slowly. And this is one of the reasons why the fellowship – it was so important. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27, the Apostle Paul says this, and I'll read it. I'll probably make a bunch of mistakes, but just bear with me. It says, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. We are all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye can not say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that, those, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you 
is a part of it. So this is really an amazing piece of scripture that Paul writes out here. Yeah. And he's what he's pointing out is that every single person that is a believer makes up something called the body of Christ. And every single person that makes up the body of Christ is vital in their part of the body of Christ. And there's always two problems when I think about this verse that people, I always hear people say, I always hear them say, well, I'm not that. And they look at the preacher up on stage or, you know, preaching the sermon, or I'm not that missionary, or I'm not that worship leader or whatever. And then you also have the other problem where people say, well, I am this, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? And so one is a comparison to somebody that they think is greater than them. And the other one is a pride thing where they think that they are greater than somebody else. And Paul makes the distinction here. He's like, look, every part is important. Whether it seems to be a noble, presentable part that's really, you know, really, really seems to be the most important part. Or it's one of these parts that we have to treat with special modesty. <laughs> and I don't think I need to explain to anybody what he's talking about there. But it's, you know, it's the parts we don't go around showing people, right? <laughs> yeah, but they're still important. Now, some people do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they go to jail for it. <laughs> but they're super important. Yeah. In fact, you really need them. Um, <laughs> they're really vital. So uh, I love that that Paul puts that together. And he's giving us a picture of you know, the vitality of the church. And and also what is woven into all of that is kind of what holds everything together is going to be this fellowship aspect. Because every church, you know, that is trusting in the Lord, every true church, not, not the apostate ones that are teaching heresies and false teachings and stuff like that, but the true body of believers, every church in every town that is true has a vital role and they're very important. And every person that's involved in that church has a vital role, and they're very, it's very important. And God will recognize all of those people and those individuals, um, those bodies of believers, when, they, you know, when we see them in heaven. Mm-hmm. But so there's, I just want to close with three things that fellowship is important for. And the first one that I want to say is that it's important for us as Christians is that it protects us. In 1 Timothy chapter 4.15, It says, be diligent in these matters, give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So there's this um, idea that um, when you watch your life and your doctrine, in other words, when your life lines up with what you believe, the doctrine is the truth of God's word, when your life is and you're supposed to watch your life to make sure that it lines up with the doctrine. The doctrine is unchanging. It is a it is a foundation that the whole body of believers is the whole it's all we, we are built on the foundation of God's word. And we are to watch our life closely that we are trying to live up to what scripture says. Uh, that's hard. But he says if you watch and you persevere in those things um, you do. You both save yourself and those who and your hearers. So, people, your life is telling a message. Um, your your life is a witness to people, and it's especially a witness to those that are within the church that are close to you, 
They see how you handle conflict. They see how you handle, handle disappointment. They see how you handle, you know, persecution, anxiety, fear, whatever, you know, success, <laughs> Right. you know, because that's something that we don't talk about a lot, but yeah, you know, can be very telling. Yeah. Sometimes the worst thing you do is give somebody success. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but also it says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, that iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. And that's important because um, a lot of people don't look at that. Everybody, whenever I hear that voice or that verse talked about, they think of it as like a good thing. It's like, oh, yeah, man, you're encouraging me. I'm encouraging you. We're iron and sharpening an iron. Right. Um, that's not what that verse means. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> what it means is what is iron sharpening iron? It's when it's rubbing together. It's friction. Yeah. And it's sharpening because it's actually cutting off the dull parts mm -hmm. and it's making it sharp and it's a painful process. So it's literally like you speaking into my life, Rosie, on wing night, you know, Turner, you, you got an attitude lately or right. you, sh you know, why are you, you know, talking to so-and-so that way or how I saw the, you know, whatever you speak into my life and you challenge me, you know, and likewise, I do the same thing to you. And, mm -hmm. and not everybody is meant to speak in everybody's life. Right. Yeah. Right. If you notice there, the criteria is one brother into another. Mm -hmm. So it's two people that are family so you're in the family of god so you're not going to be letting someone who's outside the family of god sharpen mm -hmm. you and the problem is we listen to a lot of voices today and not everybody's a, a believer you know <laughs> the majority of the world is not a believer right that's right yeah and the majority of things that we let influence us are not christian right i mean what you think i mean just this for, is going to sound so boomer tier you know like that <laughs> but it's like you know the media but uh, entertainment industry is not christian oh right right yeah you know even the, the even the christian <laughs> stuff is not christian you know oh, like, i can tell you stories man yeah i have an insight on some of it yeah yeah i i, I heard some yeah <laughs> stories too and uh i mean and you look at, at actors as soon as they you know the few probably actually saved Christians, you know, because a lot of people say that. But yeah. anyway, I think anyone that listening to this knows the entertainment industry the, is not Christian. Yeah. There's nothing Christian about it. There may be Christians in it that do succeed uh, kind of in spite of itself, like the Catholic Church. There's people that are saved in the Catholic Church <laughs> despite the teaching in it or <laughs> the lack of teaching. The lack of teaching or whatever it is. No offense to any of your yeah, uh, yeah. Catholics that are listening. <laughs> Catholics ain't listed in this podcast. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, maybe if, to help them. If any Catholic is listening to it, then good on them and they should be laughing at that because they know exactly that right, they're coming yeah. from the Catholic Church. Yeah. But anyway, my whole point is these ideas and so much of it's easy to say Western culture is all driven on things that are anti-Christian, mm -hmm. the entertain, the stuff we consume, the things we read are mostly all coming from an explicitly anti-Christian. Yeah. So it's the opposite. And at best worldly. At best worldly. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, take that down to people in your life. Uh, I have... I surround. I choose to surround myself with a lot of Christians. The majority of my friends are Christians. The majority of my people in my life are Christians. But you know, and the whole point that I'm going at is there are certain things you know a, that a Christian brother like you 
that you know me well, we have that true intimacy, that you, you can call me on stuff, that even my other Christian friends really may not have any yeah. business because it doesn't come out from a place of actually caring and, you know, vice versa. I, I may say things that I don't. At the same time, though, uh, I just, in case, I can hear someone saying, well, what if I get challenged by someone that isn't a Christian? Like, we shouldn't just, at the same time, completely dismiss something. Like, if you're a jerk at work. Right. And maybe <laughs> yeah. you don't work with any Christians. Or maybe there's only, let's say, you work on a 20-person team. There's two other Christians. And those Christians maybe do say, hey, you've been being a jerk lately. And then everyone else is, you know, saying, eh, you know, I didn't notice you're not being a jerk or they probably wouldn't say that you're not right. being a jerk. Yeah. But if those two people are saying, hey, man, you've been kind of a jerk lately, you should look at that. And at the same time, it doesn't mean if those two Christians don't say anything, but the 18 other people are like, hey, right. if you're being a jerk, you should not just immediately disregard them and go like, oh, well, you're not a Christian. I shouldn't look at myself. Yeah. So I just want to say, you know, there is a difference. And just because um, someone may not be a Christian doesn't mean that they're, you should completely disregard them. And, you know, there's yeah. some benefit in a very practical sense because we live in a world. Right. And, you know. But the best is going to come straight from exactly, brothers yeah. that, brothers and sisters that we've, have historical time with them. And and you have to earn a place in a person's life too to speak mm -hmm. into their life. Like you know, like honestly, Rosie, like you 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 like I have to earn a place to be able to speak into your life. Like I have to, you know, and I haven't done it right all the time, mm -hmm. you know. But that's what the beauty of grace and family is. Like we're we're brothers, so like yeah. I can't, you know, I can't get rid of you. But um, <laughs> <laughs> like a herpes. <laughs> so it protects. Yeah. It pro so fellowship protects. And there's one last verse for it protects. And this I love this Ecclesiastes four ten. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Mm. That's a great verse. You know, I I just want to. I like this story. We say in um. Doesn't matter where we say it, but. Uh, <laughs> In recovery. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to bring too much in. Anyway, there's this idea that, um, you know, when you have a fellowship around you, you're going to have people that have gone through what you've gone through in some aspect. Um, so we, I love this story. is like, you know, you're, you're in this ditch or maybe not a ditch, a big hole, and you can't get out, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're, you're walking by. You know, and there's people walking by up top and, you know, there's a a doctor and he walks by and you're like, hey, how do I get out of this ditch? And he's just like, oh, here's some meds, you know, take these meds or do this thing or do this exercise. Or take do this yoga. shot. Take this shot. Yeah. <laughs> do it. Okay. Whatever. And just walks on by. Yeah. And, you know, like the whole thing is just, you, you just go through all these people or whatever and they just offer these suggestions or that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, someone comes by, we'll say for the sake of this, is there's another Christian that comes by and you're like, hey, can I don't know how to get, I'm stuck in this hole. Can you get me out of the hole? And all of a sudden the Christian hops down in the hole with you. And you're like, dude, now we're both stuck. Like, what, <laughs> why did you hop into this hole? And then he says, you know, I because I've been in this hole before, I can show you 
how to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's this whole idea of that's what we're really called to be is, and I just like that one where it's, it's not just like to offer suggestions or anything, but you know, there, there's a point to being in fellowship that, you know, hard things that we go through that I won't get into the whole thing of if it's permitted or, you know, why not, but the difficult things, even the worst things that we can go through, mm-hmm. they're ultimately are useless and they're just pain if we don't have a fellowship around that you can, that you allow God to use terrible things that happen in our lives for the good. Right. And so, you know, if anyone is listening, if that's, if that's something that like you're struggling with where it's like, why would God let this happen to me? And if that's a stumbling block Mm -hmm. to becoming a Christian or really trusting God, because it's how can I believe in someone that let me go through this situation or didn't save me from this situation? You know, I, I don't have any, that's a whole other topic. Problem of evil, why bad things happen to good people, and why good things happen to evil people. But the, the point that I'm getting at is that those things ultimately are useless and pointless, just pain that comes through the world. If there, if you don't allow God to be able to you turn things that happen that he didn't control, you know, he didn't do things to us. Um, if you're in a community, you, you could just see that benefit from things. So that's right. a, I'm just getting at that there's maybe there's certain times where I may not need other people. I'm just using this for the sake of an example. Yeah. That I may not need to be surrounded by, by people for myself. Like I don't, I'm not necessarily going through something that I need you to help me with or someone else to help me with. But I don't know when, you know, someone else may need something from me. And so that's the other aspect of, you know, selfishly being around and being in community because you don't know who may need something that you have to offer. Yeah. There's a verse for this. Oh, yeah. (laughs) When you were talking, it reminded me of it. I had to look it up. I wish I would have thought of this earlier. Can I read it? Yeah, I'm done. Second Corinthians chapter two, Second Corinthians chapter one, verses three and four. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Yeah. So in the same way, um, it's exactly what you're saying. Okay. Fellowship. I've been through this. I've gotten in. I've been in this hole. Let me help you get out. Or I've yeah. felt this pain. Let me. I know exactly what <laughs> what's going to help you. Yeah. And I can I can give that to you. Which this leads me on to our second point. It's perfect lead up for that because the first was that it protects us. So you know we want to be diligent and watch our life and hold it up to doctrine. Secondly, is it promotes? So it protects first, and secondly, it promotes. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 is a great verse. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And uh, Jesus told his disciples that they would know him, know, that the world would know us by our love for one another. In John chapter 13, verse 34, it says, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, 
so that you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So when we, the promote part of it is, is that it's, you're going to grow in your compassion. You're going to grow in your ability to um, live the way Christ wants us to live, which is to be a witness, which is primarily known by love. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting to me is um, if you were to ask someone on the street who's not a Christian, what's described to me a Christian, they would probably say judgmental, <laughs> opinionated, <laughs> I don't know, Trump supporter. <laughs> right. They would give any number of different answers, but probably not love, right. not loving, you know what I mean? And um, that's a real testimony to the fact that we have some work to do in our lives and the church in particular. But um, what I say it promotes is that when we do that, it actually advances God's work into a lost and dying world. And it allows for God to use us to build the kingdom of God and to bring forth, you know, what, what, what he wants, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Oh, no, I was just thinking of, you know, that example of uh, asking, you know, they'll say it as an indictment on Christianity. We're assuming, again, everything. This is in America, and they're thinking of, like, some random person on the street. And they're thinking of some, you know, conservative, right-wing, super bigoted, you know, whatever, Um, which may or may not be the case. But the whole point is that much in the same way that, you know, we talked about at the beginning in Acts, where these people were able to speak in the tongues immediately, a one-to-one person or one to a group of people, or maybe two people spoke Chinese and they went to a group of 20 Chinese people or whatever, you know. The point that I'm getting at is, you know, it, it does matter and how it actually advances the kingdom is a personal connection, a one-on-one connection of promoting love. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like if you were to ask that uh, there's the corporate version that people see as this whole, what a Christian is, when you ask someone like that, they're thinking of as a whole. The caricature of it. These caricatures of it. But all it would take, I guarantee you, for that person to immediately change their mind about what they think is having one Christian in their life that goes against everything yeah. that they would believe. Like it's very easy for people to, and the opposite is true. That person may not, may know a hundred Christians that are all loving and they know one person that hurt them. Yeah. One Christian that wasn't there for them or, you know, whatever. Bro- yeah. Lied to them. Hurt Lies them. Stabbed them in the yeah, back. Yeah. yeah. And that's all it takes is them to completely throw off, yeah. you know, just for that one person. So the idea that I'm getting to is, you know, that there's this, we can really advance. And what we're called to do is on a, that one-to-one relationship can be super powerful. And to never downplay the importance of being loving, you know, corporately as a whole, but also on an individual basis because... Yeah, you never know the ripple effects of, you know, being being nice to the barista at Starbucks. You know, you never know what she's going through on that day or how it may impact so many things. That's right. Yeah, 
Yeah, for sure, 100%. And um, I, I, I use this as an example. Jesus was the only perfect man. We've mentioned that many times. But when he was here on earth, you have to remember that every single encounter he had with a person was <laughs> they were not perfect. <laughs> he was the only one perfect. But did he drive them away? Did he did he like say, hey, you're not like me? You, no, he literally laid down his life for them. He loved them. And every interaction that he had with them was one that would would be, he's like, I didn't come to judge the world. You know, I came to save the world, right? He goes, the judging part's going to happen. It's coming down the future. But right now I need to save you first, right? That's That's what Jesus said. And so even like the woman caught in adultery, you know, what does he say to her? He's like, where are your accusers? And she's like, I, I don't have any. He goes, she, you know, I have no condemners. You know, he's like, neither do I, but go and sin no more. And it was literally the most loving mm-hmm. thing he could have done, you know. And uh, he could have said, well, you're a prostitute, and you're really lucky that I'm talking to you right now. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he had every right to, to be able to say something like that, being perfect. But he's perfect in love. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what God wants us to grow. So I think... Fellowship helps promote that. You're serving one another. You're laying down. You're bearing with one another's burdens. You're, you're holding up the hands of those that are weak. You're, you're serving alongside other people. Are coming along your you and holding your hands up. You know when they're weak, um, and so it promotes this, this beautiful growth. So, fellowship protects. Fellowship promotes. I feel like I'm doing a sermon, and then <laughs> lastly is it participates and. Philippians 3.16, it says, Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join in with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. And so um, what it talks about participates, like fellowship participates, it means you get in the game. And that's what I love that verse. He says, let us live up to what we've already attained. In other words, let's Let's put feet to our faith. Let's put action to our beliefs. And let's not just talk about it. Let's do it. Let's be, you know, let's do it. And he says, join with others in following my example. So there's an indication there in that verse out of Philippians 3, 16 and 17 that that Paul was saying, you've seen me live my life. You need to do the same. Mm-hmm. You need to be about the work of the kingdom. And I, I need you to to jump in. And fellowship is a great way to do that. Um, man, there's been so many times where like, uh, I was in a small group and one, one of the persons come, came in and said, Hey, there's a single mom and she's moving. She needs to get, she needs to have her move from one apartment to another and we need to help her. She's, she's a believer. So, all right, when are we doing Saturday? All right, cool. We all show up. We, get all her stuff out of her house, take it to the new house and move it. And uh, she buys us pizza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we got. I got a sore back and pizza. But you know what? Blessed the socks off of that woman. And um, so many times there were opportunities for us to do things like that. You know, and some even, you know, times there's sometimes it's not just serving someone like that. It's maybe it's standing in front of an abortion clinic and praying. <laughs> yeah. You know? Or super gluing the locks. Super, 
That is crazy. Who would do that? That's insane. Yeah, don't ever <laughs> do that. That would be so terrible. Yes. Sorry, I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't ever take super glue and spray it into the locks of of <laughs> an abortion clinic in the middle of the night when they're not open and nobody could get hurt. That's terrible. Terrible. Terrible, terrible. That's not what we're talking about. That's no, not the participation no. that we're talking about. So anyway, so that was, um, yeah, we've been going on for a while here. And, uh, but I think those are the first two of the four disciplines that the early church was about. So it's the apostles doctrine and the fellowship. And so in our next episode, we're going to cover the breaking of bread and prayer. And, um, there should be some pretty cool stuff in there because those are two pretty, the prayer in particular is a pretty deep subject. And so we'll, we'll try and help unpack that in a way that's very understandable. And so, um, yeah, I just want to encourage you guys to find a church that teaches the Bible and get connected as well as you can with some fellowship in there, whether it's a small group or a men's group or or even a Bible study with your friends, that somebody that's been a believer for a while, find, make some community and uh, you know learn the Bible and live the Bible yeah. in, in that community. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to say... Um, it's very important. Uh, I kind of alluded to it or s- said something earlier where it's nice to have online friends and online fellowship. Yeah. And I'm a millennial. You know, I grew up. I have truly genuine relationships that I've met through playing cod, you know, back, <laughs> you know, years ago with yeah. friends and real friendships. And I'm not discounting that at all. Yeah. And I'm, you know, there are friendships that I maintain with people through online and I don't get to see every year. I haven't seen in a couple of years and we use online stuff or, you know, anything like that. So I'm not discounting this outright by saying, you know, we're real, you know, talking to people online through your phone or through an app. Yeah. Isn't a real connection. I'm not saying that. But there is something that's very important about this of don't. Get your all of your fellowship just from being in a Discord channel or a Telegram chat or Instagram an Instagram yeah. thing or you know there can be real community in that, but that shouldn't be all of your community. Yeah, because you know at the end of the day, you know some dude in Timbuktu, yeah, we might like the same kind of jokes and have the same beliefs, but you know there's going to be a point in time. Or I, I need someone in my life, you know, face to face, face to face, that yeah. knows me. Yeah, um, I'm with you on that. I, I'm new to the whole online friend thing. Yeah, uh, I never thought I would ever make a friend online. I, now I have like three, <laughs> but one in particular, a person, and um, and they know who they are. Man, we we talk on the phone pretty regularly, and uh, pray for one another, and. Like we've never physically met each other, yeah, yeah. but dude, we've had some pretty, pretty solid conversations. It's pretty, it's very life giving, mm-hmm. but it still doesn't replace, you know. You have a church, he, friends there. He has friends. He yeah, has a church. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I don't. I just kind of supplement mm-hmm. some fellowship. We have a lot of things in common, so there's some really good, you know. God, it, it's really a God thing. Yeah, you know, I probably wouldn't be able to have that same friendship with other people, you know, but, um, you know, that I've, that I talk to online yeah. or whatever. That sounds weird. 
but (laughs) they're real people. (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah. We're just we're just saying yeah, so that's probably why Instagram is so much more uh easier for me because I it actually puts a face to the Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Versus like you know, Xbox Live or something where it's just a voice you hear and you know (laughs) Yeah, that's really true. But yeah, uh, as we've always said, you know, if you listen to this podcast, if you listen to All At War, mm-hmm. you listen to any of the other ones, we do love you. Yeah. And that's genuine. I would, listener, I love you as much as I would say the same thing that Turner's sitting across from me right now. <laughs> and, you know, the love doesn't deepen just because I don't know you. And I do care about you and I do want you to have proper doctrine. Right. At the same time, you know, and reach out to, you know, well, can't really reach out to me because I'm not online, but, the you know, um, don't substitute that for, like, building a real community around you, going to a yeah. real church uh, that teaches proper doctrine and, yeah. you know, so. We are your friends, but we are not your church. That's exactly. <laughs> I, I, wanted, I was te- trying to tee it up for you to say it. Oh, I thanks. Love I love that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening, guys, and we will uh, catch you next time on Christianity 101 podcast for episode three, the part two of the of the the, the, the discipline. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. <laughs>